ladies and gentlemen, now hosting the Rizzo cast, put your hands together for Steven Rizzotto. Hey, 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 what's going on, everybody, and welcome. My name is Steven Rizzotto. I cover the San Francisco Giants for SFA, and I'm the host of RizzoCast, the podcast that features current and former big league players, coaches, fans, media, and others who are regarded as some of the brightest minds around the game of baseball. This episode was recorded from inside the, the uh, podcast studio inside the Golden Gate Express newsroom at San Francisco State University. And today's guest is Trey Wilson, the current play-by-play broadcaster for the Richmond Flying Squirrels, a double-A affiliate of the San Francisco Giants. We discussed the differences between broadcasting basketball and baseball, how he got into the industry, favorite voices in the game, his own style, routine at the ballpark, advice to upcoming sports announcers, young players in the Giants system, so much more coming up next on RizzoCast. This is episode number 157, and let's get started. All right, and we are back with Trey Wilson, and Trey is nice enough to take some time and hop on the show. Trey, happy holidays. Thanks for coming on, and welcome. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, excited to chat some today. Absolutely, and, and there's a lot going on in sports right now. I know you're you're a big basketball guy. We'll get into that in just a second with, with what you got going on in basketball uh, and there's baseball free agency, there's baseball trades. Uh, but more importantly, it is the Thanksgiving holiday. We're fresh off of it. A few days removed now. Uh, Christmas is coming up. Uh, we got to get kind of, you know, your your plans. How did they go for the, the Thanksgiving holiday? What was on your plate? Because I know that could be a very, uh, very sacred topic for a lot of people. There's some controversial opinions when it comes to what people eat and, and all that. So how'd your holiday go? And uh, what, uh, what went down the stomach for, for Trey Wilson? Yeah, I love uh, one getting to spend time with family that time of year, but especially eating anybody who follows me on social knows that I love food. So um, I uh, went back home for uh, I saw my grandparents down near Smithfield, Virginia, which is just like an hour and a half east of where I live now and uh, spent some time with them. Uh, of course, uh, Smithfield is the, the ham capital of the world. So uh, some Smithfield ham is always part of that. And um, funny enough, uh, Giants broadcaster Dave Fleming has some Smithfield ham ties. I found that out this year when I uh, when I was chatting with him in Cincinnati. Um, and then I went down and saw my dad and that and that side of the family and had a good time. And then I had to motor back home because because uh, I had basketball broadcasts on the Friday, Saturday, Sunday after after uh, Thanksgiving. So it was a little bit of an abbreviated Thanksgiving compared to what it normally is. But it was it was so great. Uh, um, but yeah, my number one on the Thanksgiving plate is these ham biscuits from this place called Darden's country store, right outside of Smithfield, Virginia. Um, that is, uh, that is number one. It's, it's Turkey's great, but the ham, that, that salty Southern country Smithfield ham, uh, really, really is my favorite part of that. Yeah. You know what? You're not the only one that's kind of like going away from ham or going away from Turkey these days. I think it's like a more of a trend. More people are doing it and uh, it's kind of interesting. I'd, I'd like to see a detailed report if there's any statistics about how many people are moving away from Turkey each year, because it seems like it's more every year. Oh, we still had Turkey. Okay. I had two different types. The, the, the grandparents, one was more of a traditional cook, and then my dad fried a turkey this year. For the, I think it was the second time he's tried that. So that was a different experience, but it was all it's all great. I'm I'm down with all of the all the different types of meat. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and Christmas is coming up, so maybe the abbreviated, you know, Thanksgiving leads more to a Christmas, New Year's holiday, a, a big one. 
Um, and, and I guess we're also approaching gift season. And I know for me, I just got assigned a secret Santa and I got to figure out what to do. How are you on gifts? Like, are you a guy that is, is really good at getting gifts early? Are you a last minute guy? Like December 23rd, you're in the mall, you're trying to figure out what to do, or do you give gifts at all? Cause I, I don't judge here. <laughs> it's uh, I'm, I'm so last minute with that. I try to put a lot of thought into the gifts that I give people. Um, I want them to get something that they'll enjoy and uh, or is practical. Uh, I'm, I'm a big I like to receive practical gifts. Uh, I've got too much junk in my, my house as it is. So if you're going to give me something, something that I can put to use my secret Santa in the office a couple of years ago, remember, they have the list now that you can do a lot of the apps and I put on like, I need some butt splice connect, uh, butt splice connectors and some uh, crimping tools so I can rewire the speakers in my truck. And that's what I got. So <laughs> Um, maybe a little bit boring, but I'm, I'm all about practicality. Yeah. The, the, uh, when I, I used to put on like books and stuff on my list and my family would be like, what are you doing? Like, you know, pick something fun. And it's like, I have everything. Like, I don't need anything, but socks, be, man. Yeah. I need socks. socks. <laughs> it's <laughs> the joke. That's the worst thing to get, but it's hard. It's hard yeah. to keep track of socks. It's funny. Last year, uh, I went with the gag gifts and I got, um, I got my, my, my dad a button that he could put where he eats and he could click the button and it goes that's bullshit and then i have my my <laughs> i gave my brother a bob ross chia pet so i think i i did very well on christmas last year um, i've got a little bit of a gag gift in store there's going to be also a practical gift attached but for the person in our front office secret santa um i don't want to say it yet because uh we've got a couple weeks till that goes out but uh I'm, i've got a, a little one that i hope goes over well at the <laughs> office christmas party yeah they might be listening we don't want to give too much away uh, but it'd be funny if one year for Christmas, I'm just going to say, you know what you're going to get from me? My presents. <laughs> yeah, I'd probably get disowned. Anyways, speaking of gift giving, uh, you're you're constantly given a pretty awesome gift, right? Of One of them is this time of year being call, uh, calling some Longwood University basketball games, right? And, and we're going to dive into baseball in just a second, but I want to see how basketball has given you kind of that balance this time during the offseason because a lot of minor league baseball announcers have to kind of take on that second gig. Um, and, and for you, I'm sure it's a lot of fun to kind of embark on a, on a different type of atmosphere during the winter. So tell me about that balance. And is that a difficult transition going from baseball, like for a lot of months during the year to, to basketball at this time? Uh, not really at all. It's, it is a lot different, but there's also that gap uh, that, that October and the first part of November gap where everything is kind of slowed down. I don't have to do it. I'm fortunate enough to be a full-time employee with the organization that I work with. I, I actually, it's nice these days in my career get to be selective. So there are some other opportunities that come up that I say, um, I would love to, but I need some time to just yeah. relax. Uh, I don't do college football anymore because uh, I need the fall, especially now the minor league season goes a little further in the calendar than it used to further into September. I need some downtime. So college basketball for me, it's perfect. I do something between 15 and 20 games a year, mostly on ESPN plus uh, along with Longwood university. I do a few other ones mixed in here and there um, and some occasional radio, but uh, with, with baseball, with our structure here, being the communications person, all this, like there's a thousand things going on each day and then you're rushing around, you sit down and it's game time. Uh, the basketball one's nice because I'll do some prep in the days leading in. I'll watch a little film and do some notes and then, I basically just show up and call the game. And I feel it's the, when I first started doing that, it was a little unnerving. It's like, man, well, I feel like I'm missing something, but uh, it, uh, I've started to grow kind of to enjoy it where yeah, I just sit down 
I have a conversation with the director and some of the people in the in the in the control room, and then um, you know chat up with uh, with my broadcast partner, and then we just go. It's it's actually kind of nice, and I really really love college basketball. Behind baseball, it's definitely my second favorite thing to call. Yeah, no, I, I'm sure, and and the differences between the two sports are pretty drastic, right? Baseball's a little bit more slow moving, maybe not you know as slow moving as it once was a few years ago. Uh, but it's kind of, you know, slower moving than basketball, at least basketball. I mean, you're constantly moving your head like this and there's a lot going on. What are the main differences that you've noticed between calling the two sports? Yeah, uh, baseball is obviously a much slower pace. There's a lot more conversational broadcast um, and there's a lot more. It's every day, too. So uh, there are storylines that are playing out that, that change all the time and and you're trying to. Um, I'm big on trying to make sure that everything is contextualized and not just throwing numbers out there. And, and baseball gives you plenty of time to do that. Basketball differs between whether I'm doing radio or doing television. Um, I did radio for three games this past weekend, and uh, there's not much time for any fill. You're pretty much calling the action. And then when there are breaks, I'm letting the the guy that I'm working with, uh, letting him provide the, the color there. And uh, so it's a lot less conversational, but TV for basketball, obviously people can see what's happening. You don't have to call every single play. Um, so it's, it's a little bit more story time when you're doing TV, which is what I do most of the time. Most of the games that I do are, are TV broadcasts on ESPN plus. And, uh, and uh, so that's a little bit more, I lean on the, the guy that I'm working with, let him be entertaining. And I get to kind of play the, the, the bring things back to the ground <laughs> guy, just uh, making sure that the broadcast doesn't get off the rails too much. Yeah, no, no doubt. And and I love how you're, I was on your website, Trey, and I love how your website, uh, when I, when you go under the volleyball and football clips, it says they're old now and Trey's a better broadcaster. <laughs> yeah. I took those down. I haven't, uh, I haven't done football in a while and uh, the tapes didn't really accurately reflect how I am as a broadcaster these days. I think uh, I used to have stuff up there cause I did a lot of those, but now I don't actually need to update all of it because it's pretty out of date. But the the other thing is that that's a resume website. And I'm not really out here looking for jobs right now. I'm pretty content with the ones that I have. So uh, I'm in a very I'm very grateful to be in that fortunate position. Yeah, and and you mentioned that you're selective now, and um, that that makes me feel good because you you're selective and you you want to hop on this podcast. So shout out to you. And uh, but I do imagine if if given the chance to maybe do some volleyball or football would would you jump at that would that be something you'd be interested in so ah oh man so it's, it's a little behind the scenes but i will basically i will i'm open to doing it but it's got to be the, yeah it's i'm really picky with it i haven't done either in a while um because both of those sports are played in the fall at the college yeah. level volleyball is during the fall and of course football is in the fall and that's coming on the heels of 140 40 plus baseball broadcast plus um, all the other work that goes into baseball season. So I really need that time to kind of catch up on life and uh, go see family travel some. So it it's, it's pretty unlikely that I'm going to say yes, unless it's just something that's like a too good of an opportunity to pass up. And uh, I'm very lucky to be in a position where I can be selective like that. Uh, you know, never would have thought that 10 or 12 years ago when I was starting to, when I decided you know, it's funny. I was prepping for, I have a broadcast tonight of a basketball game tonight and the team, one of the teams that's in it, I haven't called one of their games in over a decade. And I was thinking back to the last time I called one of their games and it was right around the time that I had decided um, because before broadcasting was just something that I kind of did because I enjoyed it. I had a different idea for a career path 
but that was right around the time that I decided, okay, this is something that I really want to do. And it's just funny looking back over the last decade and thinking about that kid and thinking about the things that I've gotten to do since then. And he never would have imagined, um, even, you know, it might not seem like much to some but getting to be the voice of the Richmond flying squirrels, which I think is the flagship baseball program in my home state in the game of baseball. You don't really get to pick where you go. And uh, to get a chance to be close to home and to be here is, is something that I would, never would have imagined a decade ago. So I'm very grateful for it. Absolutely. And, and let's get into kind of your career a little bit. You're a Virginia guy. You've, you've been around all the country. You've been around the, uh, the, the country a little bit. Um, tell me about kind of your, your baseball upbringing and, and how did you kind of develop that passion for the game as, as, as a youngster? When did it start for you? Because I know everybody's kind of got their story about how it develops. How did it start for you? Yeah, um, I, I'm in my early 30s. So I, you know, grew up in the 90s. And I grew up in a military family We moved around quite a bit, mostly around the southeast. So my favorite team growing up was the Atlanta Braves, and of course, right during their their heyday. So I was a Braves fan growing up, they were the most accessible team, whether we were living in Virginia, or North Carolina, or the little bit of time that we spent living in Georgia, of course, they were right there. Um, but also, it was mostly from playing growing up mostly in areas that didn't have a major league team close. Uh, I barely went to any major league games in person as, as a kid. So my love for baseball was from starting with T-ball playing T-ball and growing up, you know, collecting baseball cards as a kid and things like that. That was what brought me closer to the game and going to minor league games, whether it was Norfolk, Virginia uh, with the tides or Kinston, North Carolina, uh, when we were down there, um, that was my chance to get to see professional athletes up close. It wasn't going to major league games like a lot of people in bigger markets might be. I think outside of one summer in Atlanta where I got to go to a bunch of Braves games and we lived down there, I think I went to two major league baseball games before I was an adult. Um, and then I started, when I got that freedom, I started going to as many as I could, traveling long distances to do that. Um, but uh, I just loved playing. It was my favorite sport to play. Um, and I uh, tried to follow that on through into college. Uh, didn't quite work out the way that I had hoped, but it did open some doors for me to get to stay in the game. And here I am now still around it. And it's, it's truly uh, something that I'm, that I, again, talking a minute ago, about 10 years ago, looking back to like eight year old me, if I told him then that I'd get to do what I do now, I think that he'd probably start doing cartwheels and I've never done a cartwheel in my life. So <laughs> I, I'm going to follow up on that. So tried to play in college, right? Um, what position did you play? We got to get a full scouting report. Uh, you could make a minor league guy. You could even mix in the 20 to 80 scale on, on this one. If you want the scouting scale, we got to get a scouting report. What was, what did you have in your arsenal? What was kind of in your toolbox as a baseball player? I mean, saying really anything at all would be overselling it. <laughs> um, I was, I was, uh, I, I've tried, I was mostly a pitcher. I'm six, five. So that was kind of where I got pigeonholed at a certain point. And, uh, but growing up, I didn't, I loved other sports too. So I didn't do like a lot of guys do where you focus in on, on one sport. I played basketball throughout high school, um, played volleyball in high school, um, played a little football and soccer as a kid. But uh, yeah, I went to a school called Bluefield College, now called Bluefield University. They have a really good baseball program. And I had had some conversations with the school about trying to play. I had been hurt my senior year of high school. Um so I went out, uh, worked out with the team during the fall of my freshman year. Just basically, I wasn't going to be able to get healthy enough. And I really was also like, I really had a bad attitude back then. Uh, I, was, uh, I was a little bit of a head case and, and I got into my own head a little bit, kind of called it quits earlier than I probably should have just because I was so frustrated about not being able to get healthy. 
um, had some some shoulder issues. It, it sounds a little bit like an Uncle Rico story, like, you know, I could throw the football over that mountain. I really wasn't that good, um, especially, you know, working around professional baseball players now and seeing how focused and how hard they worked growing up. I didn't have any of that. So I was, you know, I was playing in bands and running around, uh, hanging out with friends and working a couple of jobs and things like that. I didn't have nearly the uh, the investment or the the focus that it takes to be a successful uh, athlete, even at the collegiate level. Um, it's it be, I don't think a lot of people understand how hard that is. Um, so I, I didn't really follow through on a lot of the stuff that I, uh, I didn't really get that that work ethic and drive until a little bit later. Um, and uh, and. I'm okay with how it all turned out. Uh, it's, uh, it, you know, it's not like I was ever going to play in the big leagues or anything like that. So this has been a much cooler opportunity. And I guess if you were to do it again, you would have like the, uh, the, the rap Soto starting at like eight years old and the, the pitch, <laughs> the pitch, uh, pitch, what is it called? Pitch man, track man, track man at eight years old. And, and everything's so different now. And you mentioned the other jobs and I did read about, you know, how you were stocking shelves at Kmart before kind of the broadcasting stuff took off. Um, and, and this is a good message, I think, for a lot of young people in media where we're seeing the media landscape change. We just saw that story about Sports Illustrated and the AI authors and everything, which is crazy to me. But how often did you feel directionless with kind of you know, I don't want to get too deep here, but like with kind of your, your career aspirations, because I know everybody has like a dream of what they want to do, uh, but you got to work at it. And, and sometimes it could leave you kind of feeling directionless. Did you ever have that feeling of like, God, what am I going to do next? Yeah. So um, I, did, I every day was really just trying to trying to figure out how to get through that day. Uh, I was never for a long time. There was never really like thoughts about where I was going. Um, I went to college to study marketing initially and then I was asked to leave and uh and I went back home and I worked retail jobs I I was working at Kmart which was which you mentioned which was awful definitely the worst job I ever had I was uh, unloading trucks and stocking shelves in, uh, in the humid Virginia Beach summer heat and uh and uh, ended up getting a different job I moved over to work at a Sam's Club and that was a little bit better but that was when I really realized man I gotta get my I gotta get my stuff together so I went back out and moved back to my college town tried to get in was turned away the first time I was working uh, I was working at an outreach center for kids I was working at a restaurant um, did a few other things and then I did get back into school and when I went back, I was a much better student that second run, uh, had much more focus. And I ended up getting a job in the athletic department, switched my major over to journalism. I thought I was going to be a writer, but I quickly figured out where that uh, that industry was heading. You know, this is around 2010 to 2012. Um, so I started adding some other skills uh, and started doing a lot more like PR behind the scenes stuff, graphic design, um, video work I, I worked at a television station for a little while um and but the big thing was i i started getting into play-by-play -play. and uh even though even now that's it, it probably only accounts for like five percent of what i actually do it's definitely the most visible thing and the thing that i kind of hang my my hat on being known for but even though it's a small percentage of what i do so it really did take a while before I started to get opportunities. And that was just the thing that I kept getting opportunities in. So I just decided to follow that path. Making me feel really good about my career as a print journalism major here, man. Uh, but uh, well, it's just, the, it's just changed, you know, like yeah, a, you're not going to like, 
I knew I wasn't going to be writing for a daily newspaper, most likely in, a, in some of these small markets. Uh, you know, there are definitely now things have started to open up more with through some digital avenues and things like that. So there's stuff out there. And it's funny, you, you said you do PR and, and in journalism, like we always talk about how PR is kind of like the dark side, right? You know, when, when a journalist goes to PR, it's like, oh, you're moving to the dark side. Uh, and, and from what I've come in contact with, there's usually, you know, if a PR person's really good, they're really good, right? If they're really bad, they're really bad. There's no in between, right? With with helping journalists and everything. Do you, <laughs> this is kind of a fun question. Do you see kind of like a, uh, like a, a not a rivalry because the two have to work together at some capacity, but do you kind of like see, you know, sometimes if, if you're not able to accommodate a journalist or a reporter, there's kind of like that dismay, the annoyance that comes with being a PR person. Yeah, for sure. Um, especially coming at it from a journalistic background. I was a journalist major. I've written for newspapers. I've written for online outlets. Um, I definitely understand that side of it and have a lot of love and appreciation for journalism. Also, my role is kind of weird because it's a little bit of a journalistic role. And I'm also in charge of our PR where I'm the play-by-play guy. And I'm writing written content for stuff that we do. And I try to approach all of that with a journalistic mind. Um, my boss here also is an old, he worked for newspapers. He's an old minor league baseball broadcaster too, but he's been a copy editor and he's been a writer. So uh, we we have some journalistic things in mind, but at a certain point as well, you know, there's some controlling the message and, uh, and, and uh, managing the brand uh, that, that goes into it. So there are certain times that uh, we may not be accommodating, um, we always try to be though uh, the squirrels, the flying squirrels always have, have uh, had good relationships, good relationships with journalistic integrity still in mind uh, with, with the media outlets here locally. And uh, so, yeah, there's definitely some times where I'm like, yeah, I wish I could get more, but that's just not how, it's just not how it works. Yeah. From what I've heard, you guys are great. So to carry that with the, with uh, some pride there, it, and is any, is there anyone in, this is going back to uh, broadcasting real quick. Is there anybody in broadcasting um, that you listen to quite a bit, either way back when or now, maybe on the way home from something? Who are the broadcasters in sports? And I'll, I'll kind of open this up to sports that maybe you don't model yourself after. I know some people try and take one thing or two things from each person, but who are the, who are the, the guys or, or gals around the league that, around baseball, around basketball that you kind of like to listen to and take things from possibly? Yeah, you know, growing up, uh, I loved, we didn't have cable, so I listened to sports on the radio a lot. And I read the newspaper a lot, so a lot of newspaper writers that I that I really idolize as well. Um, but some of my favorites in the broadcast world were Bill Roth from Virginia Tech, uh, who's been there mostly since before I was born. He was gone for a few years. Um, he was one of my favorites growing up. I, As I mentioned, I grew up, following the Atlanta Braves. So they had some great broadcasters during that era, like Pete Van Weeren a lot. Um, later down the road, Jim Powell, I thought was just outstanding. Him and Don Sutton together on Braves broadcasts. Um, there are some broadcasters that since I've gotten in the industry have been very good to me. Joe Block with the Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, especially from my time in Altoona, but even knowing him a little bit before he came to the Pirates when he was with the Brewers. Um, he's been extremely helpful for my career. And uh, I always loved Giants broadcasters. And now getting a chance to be in Richmond, obviously I have a little bit more reason to pay more attention to the Giants. So I love that they're on the West Coast and we're on the East Coast. Like when I'm driving home after a home game, I pull up the I pull up KMBR on the MLB app, you know, 
and listen to John Miller and, and Dave Fleming. And those two guys both are, are just incredible broadcasters. I know that it, it's out in San Francisco, it's just kind of, it might be a little taken for granted, but on a national landscape, they're so good. And obviously I grew up watching John Miller on Sunday night baseball at ESPN as well. And I think that he's outstanding. And um, this summer I got to spend a few minutes with both of those guys, with John Miller and with, with, uh, with Dave Fleming and uh and uh chat with them a little bit which was which was pretty cool i've crossed paths with both of them a couple of times but uh you know we uh a lot of people you might fanboy a little bit over your your favorite players or something like that that doesn't move the needle much for me but to being around great writers and great broadcasters uh, that's where i have to kind of check myself and make sure i'm not acting like a little kid yeah dave is from kind of your neck of the woods right a virginia guy and i know his brother is with the Red Sox doing Red Sox games on on TV and radio, which is very cool. Um, so uh, maybe the next Dave Fleming, Trey Wilson. So put that in the listeners out. Not a, not a chance. <laughs> he's he's on a different level. Yeah. He's on a different planet. Thank you, John. Yeah, he's he's fantastic. He's really good. And um, just kind of getting into your routine a little bit at the ballpark. So when you from when you get to the ballpark to when you return home what would be kind of your daily routine for like an average normal, I guess there's no such thing as normal and, and, you know, a day to day of a minor league broadcaster, but a normal, as normal as it could get Richmond flying squirrels game. What are you doing from, from start to finish when you get there? Yeah, that's, and it's changed over the years as I've uh, gone through different organizations to where now I have less specific tasks on my plate than I used to, because I have a bigger staff. I have a great staff that uh, works here with me um, running the social and helping with the baseball information and the marketing and all that other stuff that kind of falls under my, uh, under my department. But um, every day is different, but it, the things that are, we're going to do pretty much every day, uh, my assistant Blaine helps me out with basically all these tasks. He's, he's my right-hand man. And uh, we've got to get together these notes and stats for both the coaching staffs. It's usually one of the first things we want to make sure those are there when they get here. So um you know, we, we get those packets together. Blaine usually does that every day and gets them over to the coaches. There are some days where I'll do it. And uh, we put together the game notes uh, that are distributed to the media. That's also our broadcast prep. So we do this like 10 page game notes packet every day that's uh, that updates what's going on with all the players, different storylines and things like that. Um, that that usually takes a pretty good chunk of the middle of the day. Um, then there are always a bunch of other various tasks. But um, if we're at home, you know, doing a lot of that stuff here and then, and then making our way up to the broadcast booth. Probably I usually get up there. Well, some days I might get up there an hour before first pitch. Some days I might get up there 30 seconds before first pitch I'm sitting down and we're going. So it really does vary from day to day. If we're on the road, it's a lot easier, uh, you know, kind of work at my own pace, try to catch the bus over the ballpark in the mid afternoon, but I'll just do most of the work from the hotel uh, try to venture out and see the towns that we're in, uh, get out and do some exploration, um, find some good local food. Uh, but I'm doing most of the work kind of at the at the hotel. And then I'll take the bus over and about maybe if it's a seven o'clock game, probably at like two or three o'clock, uh, try to catch a player, grab a player for a pregame interview, um, put together a new podcast episode or something like that, because we repurpose a lot of our radio interviews for the podcast. And then um, and then, yeah, call the game. And then after the game, we've got to update the website, get the uh, get the post game story up. And usually what I, I work a lot better at night. So a lot of times I'll actually stay up late until like two or three in the morning, sometimes later, 
doing most of the work for the next day and then just try to ease into the day and uh, get a later start than most people out there in the world were because I've got to hit my peak energy every day at seven, not at like, mm -hmm. you know, two or three o'clock in the afternoon. So I've kind of shifted my, my work schedule around a little bit to, to match that. Yeah, it's really interesting. And it, it's, it sounds like the definition of a grind. And I know the minor leagues have been described as that for quite some time. And while you're not playing, there is kind of a sense where you're on, you know, you kind of overlap with the same schedule as the players being that you're, you're both playing, you're not playing, but you guys are both kind of taking part in some capacity in, in the game. How do you deal with that grind as a broadcaster? Do you ever get, and I'm sure you do get tired, but it is it, how do you deal with the exhaustion at times? Because I'm sure that's what a lot of people would want to know. Yeah, it's load management, kind of like you talk about with pitchers, right? Um, I'm also very fortunate to work for an organization that really values self-care as much as you can in season in baseball. So there's a lot of flexibility um, and a lot of ability to kind of kind of do things on my own schedule and work my own pace as much as is allowed for with the, the demands of the job. Uh, it used to be like when I was before I came to Richmond, I worked in Altoona, smaller staff um smaller market a uh, lot more tasks daily tasks on my plate than than there are now and i don't know how many hours a week i was working them but typically i'd get into the ballpark around nine or ten o'clock in the morning and i was leaving at two or three in the morning and i was going home and taking a nap and coming back if we we're at home it's a lot different now thankfully but i have a, i actually use an app now that tracks my work hours just for my own uh, my own um just to try to make sure that i'm not doing too many hours uh, i'm on a fixed salary so it's not like i'm getting paid by the hour but there are some weeks during the season uh, my typical week i'm probably actually working uh in season between 60 and 75 hours is probably my sweet spot if i can get into that area i'm probably not going to overload myself too much but there are some weeks i was going back through it earlier this week in fact looking back at my logs through the season there's some weeks where I, i'm getting up to about like 90 to 95 hours in a week. And, and that's when things start to really, I, I say, okay, I've got to, I'm, I'm not managing my time. Well, I've got to figure out a different way to do this or I'm going to burn myself out seasons. When I was first doing this by June, I was a zombie. Now I've done a lot better job of, uh, of, of managing some of that workload and, and getting more efficient with my time and not wasting as much time and uh, getting more selective with some of the things that I'm doing to make sure that I'm not burning myself out. Uh, March is always going to be an outlier though, leading up to the season. Cause there's so many things that have to be done in that run up to opening day. So there's that those last couple of weeks of March are pretty much a guarantee that I'm going to cross over that 90 hour mark. And that's frustrating because you're going right into the start of the season already tired. So that's one that this year I'm going to try to figure out how to manage better and see if I can see if I can wrangle in a little bit and get that back into that 70 to 60 to 75 hour sweet spot. Yeah, maybe you could come on, you could update and, and tell us how you did. But uh, are you able are you able to keep up with because the minor league baseball, like I'm sure if you work in it, there's a little bit of like a, a circle that you're in and you're, you know, inside of it. And, and there's major league baseball happening. And are you able to kind of keep up with what's going around uh, on around major league baseball? Or is that something that you're kind of tuned out of during the course of a minor league season? I know you mentioned you listen to John and Dave, of course, on the way home, uh, KMBR after, after a game, but are you able to kind of keep up with the big, the big storylines across the league? Yeah, for the most part, 
um, you know, the bus rides and stuff. There's some time yeah. to scroll Twitter and stuff like that. Um, but during the season, I'm mostly focused on the Giants since they're our parent club and they have a lot of our former players and I'm, you know, interested. I want them to do well. I want those former players to do well. I want the Giants to do well because they're so good to me. I want them to be able to, uh, the, the Giants organization has been great to me since I came over here. So I want to see them do well. Um, with the national storylines, I'll fall a little bit behind on. It's really funny because I'll go to a social function of some sort and somebody will be, you know, they know I work in sports. So they're like, hey, how about this storyline? You know, they'll mention some big thing and I'll say, yeah, I don't really know much about it. You, you know more than I do. The general fan is going to know more than I am on a lot of those types of things. And then when the playoffs come around after our season ends, I'll usually watch a lot of those playoff games. A lot of the times it'll be on the background while I'm doing other work, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll lock in a little bit during the playoffs. Um, I also love baseball history. So uh, I like to um, watch old baseball documentaries. I will watch through Ken Burns baseball at least once a year, all the way through um, usually during the spring. And um so I like the, the history of the game and to keep up with the history of the game, you have to know what's happening today. So I try to make a point to, uh, so you can contextualize all those different things. So I try to make a point to follow, but it is difficult in the season because I'm very focused on what's happening with the, the 28 guys in our clubhouse here in Richmond. And I can already imagine the people coming up to you and asking like, you know, Slater's dealt with the hamstring stuff. Do you think he's going to be in the lineup tonight for the Giants in Cincinnati, Trey? And you're just going to go, that's not me, man. That's not my, uh, <laughs> he, he might be. And also I like how you brought up the Ken Burns documentary because I'm right there with you. That's going to, that that's a must every single winter. And uh, I'm looking forward for, for you to report back on, on hearing about Mordecai Brown, three finger Brown's uh, off speed pitches. So um, <laughs> love to hear that. And, um, you know, in, in minor league broadcasting, the one thing that I've heard, and I think I heard this and I'm sure you're very familiar with Roger Munter. He's great. And, uh, mm -hmm. his coverage with the, with the giants minor league system. And I, I can't remember who he was talking to. It might've been Joe Rizzo from San Jose. And, and he was talking about how the players families are sometimes your biggest fans, some of your biggest fans on the broadcast, because, you know, if they have, uh, you know, an interest in listening, and, and I'm sure there's a lot of Richmond Flying Squirrels fans that listen regardless, but do you ever get the noise from the players' families about, you know, listening and, and kind of being big fans of your work? Because they, they have a lot of reason to listen uh, if they have somebody closely tied with the organization. So what is that kind of relationship with, with the players' families? Are you aware that, you know, that might be the case? Oh yeah, it's always in my mind. I'm never, I'm never one to rip people anyway. But I'm going to be conscious of this is a development level. If a guy's yeah. in a slump, I'm going to contextualize it. Usually, I'm not going to, you know, overly sugarcoat. But if if a guy's playing poorly and it needs to come up in the broadcast, we're going to talk about some things he's done well. Um, but it used to, we used to have a lot more crossover with the families it's before MILB TV expanded so much because the radio broadcast was usually they were listening to us the full season instead of just half the season when we're at home. Now, a lot of times they're just watching when we're on the road, they're watching the other team's broadcast because it's their broadcast. It's on MILB TV. There are some parents and I love, these are my favorite parents who will pause the MILB TV broadcast and pull up the stream of our radio broadcast and sync them up. Uh, um, there are a handful of players, families who've done that, but uh, yeah, over the years, you do get to know the players, families, some players more than others, especially when they come to town and you get to spend a little bit of time with them here at the ballpark after a game or something like that, you get to meet them. And 
you know, that's, they're just as in it as the players are, you know, they're part of the journey right from childhood on. And uh, that's one of my favorite things is getting to watch guys go on to make their big league debut. I love that first game in the major leagues when they show the shots of the families Mm -hmm. sitting in the crowd and, uh, and uh, just knowing, you know, that they've been, you know, firing tweets at us or liking every tweet about their, their kid or something like that. Or, you know, they've just been along for that journey. It's, it's just as big of a day for them as it is for that player. And I love the broadcast in the big leagues always, always give a, a almost always give a, a, a shot of the families watching because I know that it's a big moment for them. And we do build some relationships with those families when those guys are coming up. Yeah, they're all over social media. Like, I, I remember um, Tyler Beatty's dad was all over social media. Logan Webb's dad is all over social media. They keep it. They keep tabs on on what people say and what people write about um their sons for sure and um but we still have to be honest like yeah, absolutely. We, we can't that's yep. it so going back to the pr versus journalism uh, i still view it journalistically i can't uh i can't lie you know uh, i can't uh the sugar coating has to be kept in check yeah well to be fair i brought up bd's dad i'm blocked by him so if that gives you any indication <laughs> <laughs> walter unblock me but uh yeah no the, yeah definitely got to be fair as well and um one thing I do want to ask is, you know, because everybody's kind of got their their early career, you know, growing pains. This is going to be very blatant, but what's your worst like mess up? Like, what's the one time you could think of in your career where you're just like, and it could, it, it can't even be one time. It could be, you know, any time or, or series of times where maybe a name, maybe a factual mistake. Like, what is the one time where just like you 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 screwed up somehow on the air or or in print or whatever capacity? Um, I got hot mic'd a <laughs> different times. Um, you know, the mic is always hot, so you got to be careful what you say. Somebody didn't turn a level down, and I I made a comment. There were there were a couple of them. I made a comment one time. Um, about a pitcher this has been years ago before I was in Richmond when we were at break and it went out over the broadcast but it also went out over the um, over the feed and in the clubhouse where the pitching coach was and out into the suites and stuff like that it wasn't anything super egregious I was like it was more of just it was actually kind of supportive but the guy had a really bad outing I can't remember what the exact phrase that I said was again it wasn't egregious it wasn't like hateful or anything like that it was more of like expressing frustration for him because he was really struggling and I knew that he, he was feeling it too. And it was hurting the team. So um, the pitching coach grabbed me right after the game and lit me up and uh, he really let me have it for like five straight minutes. And then uh, we break the conversation, he turns and looks at me and goes, we were all thinking the same thing. (laughs) Yeah. um, So that one uh, was definitely a learning moment young in my career, early in my career. Um, on the air actually during the broadcast i think that the the first one that pops into mind is i was in altoona and our broadcast booth there is really high up it's a beautiful ballpark one of my favorite ballparks in minor league baseball we have a great broadcast angle but every now and then we'd get some wildlife (laughs) flying around in the booth and we had this this massive bug that flew into the booth and was like flying around and like my partner, the guy that I was working with that season, uh, like landed on him and he's freaking out. So I'm distracted and a guy hits a fly ball to center field and I don't follow the play all the way through because I'm distracted. I see the center fielder looks like he's camp and he's about to make the catch. So I looked away, called that he made the catch, said that the inning ended wrapped and went to send it to break. 
But in reality, while I was distracted by this bug, the ball got behind the center fielder and the guy ended up getting a triple and scored two runs and the inning kept going. And, and uh, that one was pretty embarrassing. It wasn't really that, con- you know, it wasn't like a massive consequence. It was not something that I really kicked myself about. It was just a learning moment of, oh yeah, even when there are like, I, I remember saying that there's like a pterodactyl flying around the booth. It was like in my face. You got to find a way to lock it and make sure you follow through and, and don't just make an assumption that a guy's going to make the catch. See the ball get in the glove. See the guys running off of the field. Um, that's that was that was one that was a little bit of a learning moment early in my career. Yeah, I would be more scared of the, the pterodactyl. I, I think baseball would be secondary at that point. But that leads me into this. Like, I mean, that's. I guess you can mess up in the minor leagues, right? If you're going to, if you're going to make your mistakes, it's good to do them early in your career and kind of get those out of the way. And uh, again, for those many broadcast uh, people with broadcast aspirations that might be listening, do you have one piece of advice to a get over those fears and B uh, I, I guess maybe who did that come from? Like where, where was the best piece of advice that you've gotten from a journalism standpoint or from a well, casting standpoint, I should say. I've gotten so much, it'd be hard to really pin it on one person or or one set of advice, but really just um, get the reps uh, and and keep trying to get better. You know, I'm people ask me all the time, like, don't you want to be in the big leagues? And I'm like, well, yeah, sure. If somebody called and said, you know, we're going to offer you this job. I'd certainly consider it. I'm not going to just say no, but I'm really happy where I am. And in broadcasting, I think that that's not the norm. Um, if you're not even, even people who are in big jobs, a lot of people are really focused on that next opportunity. Um, I follow that old mantra. It's, it's in a lot of places, but it's definitely common in baseball, be where your feet are. But at the same time, even though I'm very content with the job that I have now, and if I spend the next 40 years here, I'll be thrilled. I'm always trying to get better. Um, so, and, and try not to be too hard on myself, especially somebody who didn't go to a broadcast school, doesn't have the pedigree that a lot of the people that are in this industry have. I have to remind myself sometimes that, Hey man, you're here. You you've been able to get this opportunity. So clearly somebody believes that you can handle that and uh, remind myself of that and, and be able to accept criticism, um, uh, constructive criticism, uh, you know, be able to let, let people with experience, listen to your tapes, let your peers, the people that are working alongside you, listen to your tapes and, and go through and point some things out. Cause there's only so much that you're going to be able to find of yourself and uh, don't, don't take it too personally, you know, um, just there, there are always, there's always room for improvement. So, you know, constantly throughout the year, I'm, I'm always trying to do things better, trying to find things that I'm struggling in and, and, and find ways to do to do those things better as a broadcaster one of my areas of weakness i think is that i don't do the big call as well as a lot of people do you know like the, the big moment the walk off home run and stuff like that and it's just it's in my personality i'm not as uh, as excitable as some people i guess i think i can fill the fill the game very well storytelling and things like that um, but the, the bigger moments, so I'm, I'm still all these years into my career trying to figure out without being inauthentic. That's my big thing is I don't want to be inauthentic. I'm not going to start jumping up and screaming over, a, you know, a sixth inning two run double or something like that. Uh, but, but trying to give the moment the weight that it deserves, uh, trying to appropriately do that. Uh, that's, that's something that it's kind of been a focal point for me over the last year or so. Yeah, it's really good advice. Always important to, to be yourself and, not try to be anybody you, you're not. So that's good advice for young people out there. And um, 
I, I can't let you go without asking like actual baseball stuff with what's happening. And, you know, the giants are kind of in the pressured filled spot in free agency. There's a lot of discussion surrounding trades and, and what they need to do. And, you know, if they need to dig into their minor league talent to make those trades, and you're familiar with a few of those guys, is there anybody down there right now in the Giants system right now that has caught your attention that you're excited about? And that could be a pretty big impact player at the big league level that, you know, either people are talking about or people aren't talking about who, who has caught your eye uh, that has gone through Richmond. Yeah. You know, it's funny because sometimes it's the guy that you expect. It's the big, touted prospect and sometimes it's somebody that maybe wasn't as much on the radar i love like the ryan walker story yeah um ryan walker had a great 2023 season in the big leagues and uh you know he was never a guy that got a ton of attention here um i love seeing guys like that get to the major leagues and and have success and even just recently the giants have had such a surge in talent in the minor leagues and we've seen that play out in the big leagues patrick bailey started the season here with us in richmond and had a great year in the major leagues and I think that he's got still a lot of potential to be tapped into um, Casey Schmidt. Uh, I know that he had some, some struggles, uh, but he also showed a lot of what he can do. And we got to see that on display here. Uh, obviously the talk with the giants minor leagues has been that they've got some, some really solid pitching in the upper levels of the minor leagues. And we got to see that this year. I love seeing guys who, who, make mid-season adjustments i think that like ryan murphy was a great example this past year he really struggled in the first half and then and then a lot of things clicked in the second half um carson seymour is another one who he although his numbers were pretty good all year he's one of the guys the giants got in the trade that sent darren ruff to the mets but carson seymour doubled his strikeout rate in the second half uh, making those adjustments and he's a guy that i think that is going to start creeping up higher on people's radars. Um, Landon Roop is another one on the pitching side that uh, we didn't get to see him much this year. He missed most of the year with an injury, but when he's out there, he's so he's so good. He, he's dominating, and he's a really fun pitcher to watch. Um, I, I'd hate to leave some people out because there's so many other talented players that we've that we've had here, but the pitching for sure has been has been really fun to watch over the last couple of years. Um, you know, Wade Meckler was uh, a fun player to watch in the time that he was with us earlier this year. Another great story of, uh, you know, a kid that was like four foot 10, 75 pounds going into high school, overlooked for years. And then he gets to the minor leagues and, um, and, and just rockets right through because, of, you know, just on kind of grit and work, work ethic and things like that. Uh, there's, there's so many, so many different stories. Uh, I think the giants are a pretty good spot. Um, as far as the talent that they've got coming through the system, uh, there's uh, there there's there's so many people that I think that are on that uh, so many players that are on that verge of like maybe they're not getting talked about as much, but there's they're, they're right there. You can see the potential that they have to be major league contributors, and uh, and it's been fun over the last, especially these last two seasons. Uh, you know, there haven't been a ton of players who've come through Richmond over the years that have gone on to a lot of major league success. And I think that we've seen uh, in this in these last few years with this regime, I think that we've seen um, a, a bit of a surge in minor league talent. And it's it's been fun for us selfishly here. Uh, regardless of what they go and do in the major leagues. And I hope everybody that plays here has a decade plus successful career in the major leagues, but it's been fun for us winning more games and being in the playoffs back to back years in Richmond. Uh, that that's made things a lot more enjoyable uh, 
it's, it's, you know, if you have a season where you win 50, 60 games to finish well under 500, there's still a lot of fun in that, but winning's more fun. And, and the, the byproduct of the Giants having more success in scouting and drafting and player development is that the teams have also played better in the minor leagues and, and locally here in Richmond that plays well. Yeah, it causes a, a ripple effect throughout the organization. And the Giants are going to continue to count on a lot of those young guys. Uh, you mentioned Bailey, you mentioned Walker, you mentioned Schmidt. Uh, Luciano's been pretty much um, been verbally given the shortstop job or given a chance to compete for the shortstop job. And he's expected to be the front runner if they don't add anybody this offseason. So uh, he's somebody that you've seen a little bit of. But um, I always think it's cool that, that the minor league broadcasters kind of get to see the start of a player's career. And then, you know, it, there is kind of like, uh, you know, you have a part when they make their big league debut. It might not be a big part, but it's like, I seen that guy. And I think a lot of fans feel the same way when they go and watch a minor league game. And I remember I used to go to a lot of San Jose giant games and uh, God, it might've been 2014 or 13. And, you know, I would go, Oh my Tyler Rogers is in the big league Slater and Kelby Tomlinson with the glasses. Mm -hmm. And a bunch of those guys made it up there. And, uh, it kind of makes the fan feel more involved and I'm sure it makes the broadcaster feel, feel more involved as well. Yeah. It's the same for me growing up in minor league towns, uh, yeah. you know, watching guys like David Wright who played in Norfolk coming up when they were still in Mets affiliate and he was from there. And that was really cool. Uh, but yeah, people ask me all the time, you know, who's your favorite baseball team? I'm like, well, I pull for the giants, uh, you know, because i would worked so closely with some people in the organization and of course with our players, but I'm really pulling for, the guys that I've gotten a chance to work alongside, you get to know these guys pretty well and you spend a lot of time with them when they're coming up through the minor leagues. And um, there are players scattered all over the major leagues that, that I really enjoyed working around while they were here that are having success. It's been fun to watch from before my giants organization time, guys like, uh, like Tyler glass now and, and Austin Meadows and Josh bell, um, Keon, um, uh, Key Brian Hayes and Brian Reynolds and guys like that from the Pirates and then from back before that the Blue Jays like Noah Syndergaard people forget he came up with the Blue Jays yep. and uh, right. and Joe Musgrove and some of the guys Kevin Pillar that were on some of those early teams that I had over there um, it's fun to watch those guys I will I will pull for those guys more than like specific teams when it gets to the playoffs I always check the rosters and say all right which team has the guys that I got a chance to to have on some of my teams in the minor leagues because I got to figure out who I'm going to uh, who I'm going to pull for in each series. And usually it's going to be for those individual players. I want them to achieve success. Uh, some of them I still talk to. Most of them I, I don't. Uh, they go on. If we see each other, you know, we'll, we'll catch up. But it's not like I'm texting them and saying, hey, good luck in the good luck in the upcoming season, something like that. But but quietly, internally, I still want to see all those guys have success um, for themselves. And also, like we talked about earlier, the families uh, that you get to know a little bit when they're coming up. Yeah, Syndergaard was involved in that R.A. Dickey trade to Toronto, where Dickey went to Toronto and Syndergaard went to the Mets. And Tyler Glass, now a friend of the show, came on yeah. a few years ago. So he's a he's he's, a he's an he's an entertaining guy. He is an entertaining guy. I think he's got a post baseball life, no doubt about it. Somewhere in broadcasting, maybe maybe he could be your partner in Richmond. Oh man, that would be he. Uh, you know, it's funny. Glass now is one of those like guys who was a massive prospect when he got there all the attention and pressure and everything and it's so fun now to see him um let loose a little bit because i don't think he was he had that in him he was he was entertaining he could be a funny guy but i, I don't know if like the pressure that's on some of these top prospects when they're coming up uh, you know especially these days now in the year 2023 with so much attention on prospects it's got to be unreal 
you don't really see it. You know, you don't hear about, man, all this pressure. You know, these guys are athletes and they're professionals going about their business. But um, it does it does seem like Glass has been able to let loose now that he's had some major league success down in Tampa and, and really show the great personality that he's got. I think that that's great. And great personalities are something that we certainly need in baseball. Um, you know, it's uh, other sports have done a great job of showcasing and marketing their players. And we need some players who have these great, fun personalities to help be ambassadors for the game. And he's a guy who can do that. And there are a ton of others who've come through Richmond over the last few years that I could say that for as well. Yeah, without a doubt. And I'm going to drop a name right before we leave, who was on that 2015 Altoona Curve team, uh, who was my pitching coach in high school. It's Tom Harlan. Does that name ring a bell? Really? Yes. I, haven't, man, I haven't talked to Tom Harlan in forever. Uh, yeah, Tom Harlan. I've had him was- on too. I've had him on too, yeah. I'll have to find that episode. I guess I missed that one when you were promoting it, but uh, yeah, he was, um, I was, I was actually going back and watching. We did a Saturday night live night <laughs> in Altoona yep. and glass. Now was one of the guys they did a, they did a Californians. If anybody watches SNL, there's the Californians uh, back during like the Fred Armisen, Kristen Wiig era and glass now and Harlan were in that video because they're guys from California yeah. and got to show off their, their acting chops. And then Tom Harlan did a, uh, did a deep thoughts segment are, are you well. the man are you behind the scenes of deep thoughts with tom harlan so no i was okay. there um I, I there were probably a few people so actually mike passanisi who's now one of the pr guys yeah. for the giants was my boss in altoona that first half of that year before he left for the mets so mike passanisi is actually in this in the californians video because he's from california so he's in that Californians video with Tyler Glass now and Tom Harlan and Colin Ballister was actually the other one. He had come back down from the big leagues and he was a lot of fun to be around too. He's a fun personality. Um, so yeah, Tom Harlan, Tyler Glass now, Colin Ballister and Mike Passanisi. <laughs> and then I, I don't remember who wrote the, I think the deep thoughts one came from our video production guy that we had back then. But, uh, but yeah, Tom Harlan was great. He's another great personality. Uh, you know, even in the minor leagues, you need those great personalities. If guys don't go into play in the big leagues, growing the game locally, uh, Tom was a good, was a good man for that. Yeah. Legendary pitching coach. And so he also taught, he also teaches anatomy at the high school too. And, um, and, and we would walk through the hallways and we would go, uh, we would mimic the the deep thoughts with Tom Harlan video. And we would go, whatever happened with the old time baseball nickname? And he's like, I never played with a Skeeter or a schoolboy. How do I become the oil can? Like it was really, it was really good content. And uh, it's funny that you were semi part of that. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious. I, it's been so long ago. I'd be curious if Tom had a, had a hand in writing. I also did one of the SNL night videos for that one. And I remember I didn't write any of the script. I was just given the script. So I wonder if Tom had some editorial oversight on. I'm going to tell him to listen to this. I'm telling him to listen to this. We still still send each other stuff on Instagram all the time. He's good people. Uh, That's, that's one of my favorite teams. Tom was on one of my, he was a great personality on that Josh team. Bell, even, right? Uh, yeah, Josh Bell, uh, Stetson Alley was another big person. He was a big prospect coming up those days. Um, yeah, Tyler Glass now, Chad Cool, Austin Meadows. There were a lot of really good players on that team who were really good dudes. It's one of my favorite teams that I've that I've had was that 2015 altitude team. Yeah. And, uh, and Tyone maybe a little bit. Uh, before he was before that. then. Yeah. yeah, he came back and rehabbed with us when he was working his way back uh, when he had cancer. Um, so I got a chance to have him around for a couple of days. He's another great guy, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. Tom Harlan, there's a blast from the past. And again, he probably doesn't even remember who I am, but uh, I definitely remember, remember Tom. Well, he was, he was a good dude. 
I'm sure he still. I'm sure he still is. He's still with us. But, you know. <laughs> Good dude. Post mortem. Uh, Trey, man, I appreciate you coming on the show. This was a blast. I kept you for way too long, but uh, I think it was helpful for a lot of people who want to get into broadcasting. And um, happy holidays! And again, man, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me. Uh, and young broadcasters, yeah, reach out if you have any questions. Uh, Sometimes it takes me a little while to, to set the time aside, but I'm always happy to chat with people that are trying yeah. to do this. And if you want any clips on volleyball and football, he is a better broadcaster now, folks. So those, <laughs> those are not on there, uh, but he could help with those too, I'm sure. And you guys could follow him on Twitter at Trey Wilson 757. Uh, go check him out. Uh, does a lot of good stuff on his Twitter account, including the food that he mentioned earlier. So uh, be on the lookout for that and be on the lookout for him calling basketball, uh, Longwood University basketball. He does a good job with that. Uh, and he's that's where he's going after this later today. So pretty cool stuff. And you guys could check out the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at RizzoCast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you find your podcast. And see you next time.